Well, amen. Aren't you glad Calvary covers it all? And if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to find out. John chapter 15, verse 13. John chapter 15, verse 13 today. We'll look at John chapter 15. That's going to be our main focus, our main verse. But let's start at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14, and then we'll focus our attention on 13. So let's go ahead. John 15, verse 1. We'll see if we can't... uh, Get something figured out here along the way, amen? John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Now, that's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? Now, again, if you're not a child of God today, you've never received and accepted Christ, well, that doesn't have anything to do with you there. Nothing. All right? I mean, in one sense, we could say it does, in that you don't have breath or life without God. We could say it that way. But in the sense of bearing fruit for the Lord, you don't bear fruit for the Lord until you're kind of plugged into the vine. You've got to be plugged into the vine, and then the branches can bring forth fruit. And he's saying, you can't bring forth any kind of fruit unless you're plugged in. You say, how do I get plugged in? Well, you've got to get saved. You've got to trust Christ. You've got to receive the Lord. You've got to recognize yourself for who and what you really are. A sinner deserving hell. A sinner at the very root. A sinner that's wretched and vile in the sight of a holy God. And you come to God and realize that the biggest problem you got isn't the fact that you're a sinner going to go to hell. The fact that the biggest problem you got is you, the sinner itself. I'm sick of my sin. I can't stand my sin. I can't stand what it does to God. I've got to get it dealt with and I've got to face it. And then that's when things change in your life. You receive and accept Christ understanding that He's the only one that can address your sin and deal with your sin. And then one of the wonderful byproducts of that salvation is that you don't have to spend one moment paying the penalty for it. But in order to be plugged into the vine, you have to be born again into the family of God. And then you can do nothing, child of God, without Him. You can't be a good father without Him. You can't be a good mother without Him. You can't be even a good person without Him. You say, I can do good things. You can, but you're not going to be good in the context of the biblical good. You can't do anything worthwhile. You can't even produce anything in and of yourselves. Everything you do, whether you like to admit it or not, is all a result of what God's grace is doing in your life anyway. Even when you don't intend to do anything on behalf of God, everything you do is a result of God. He says here, he says, um, verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. They're burned. You see that? How important is it to be plugged into the vine? If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Aren't you glad that it's not a matter of us loving people in our own strength? I gotta love that person. Well, I, I gotta love you. I don't have to like you, but I gotta love you. I'm gonna tell you, if you said it that way, you ain't loving a whole lot. But praise God, we're not loving in our own strength or our own ability. We're loving in His ability, His love. It's His love that now abides in us. It's His love that enables us to reach out with love. It's His love that permits us and gives us the strength to forgive and to go forward even in our own lives today. Man, I'll tell you what, without His love, where would we be? Not only in our own lives, but enabling us to associate, deal with, and address others in our 
own personal circles. He goes on to say, he says, uh, If ye keep my commandments, verse 10, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. (laughs) These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. You know, if we could just sum it up real quick, if you're not bearing fruit on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, then may I say, you probably lack joy. It's pretty obvious here. You say, I don't know why I'm so miserable. I don't know why I have no joy in my life. Maybe you need to get plugged into the vine. I mean, really plugged in. Not just saved, but plugged in. I mean, really plugged in. To where you're so plugged in, you're producing something on his behalf. You have those godly characteristics that are spoken of over in the book of, 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 of uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5. I think it's Ephesians. My mind's going a little bit blank right now. But when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You've got Galatians 5, I believe. And the fact is, if you're not showing that kind of fruit in your life, and then you're not exhibiting that fruit through the way you act and live and talk, that's probably why you're struggling with joy. You're not really plugged in like you ought to be to the vine. Because if you're plugged into the vine like you ought to be, let me tell you, you're going to be producing some fruit. As a matter of fact, he even says, much fruit. So, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, verse 12. That's a tough thing to do if you don't have his love. You know, I, I, I get along with people pretty good. I really don't have a lot of problems with people as a whole. I, I, I find even when people don't treat me 100% the way I'd like them to, I still say, well, that's just life. Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm sure glad that I have his love in my life, though. I'm glad that it's there because there are times even in my life I, I could struggle with that one. You know, you know you, well, I mean, let's face it. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How's God loved us? Unconditionally. How's God loved us? Beyond our scope of imagination. I mean, is that how you love one another? So I do unless they look at me cross-eyed. I do unless they cut me off in traffic. I do unless they come up and ask for some money like my kids all the time. (laughs) You got to love them. You're not going to do that without the love of the Lord in your life. He goes on to say this in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That sounds somewhat conditional. <laughs> Where's that unconditional thing at, huh? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, we're dealing today, we're talking about, veter, uh, uh, um, not Veterans Day, but yeah, Veterans Day. What am I talking about? It's been a crazy uh, few hours for me. Uh, the last 12 hours have been a little weird. But let me tell you this. Uh, I think of Veterans Day, I think of heroes. That's what I think about. And when I define a hero, it's defined a person of distinguished valor, enterprise in danger, as a hero in, a hero in arms. I mean, a person of distinguished valor. So a hero demonstrates tremendous courage and tremendous valor in the face of danger. And there's a willingness to sacrifice themselves for others. That's, that's really the basic, I mean, bottom line definition of a hero. 
When I think of a hero, I think of someone like a fireman or firewoman, of, of somebody in the, a firefighter saving a, a small child from a burning house. I think of that. A police officer who storms a drug house and pursues a criminal down the street. A soldier who takes their place in the front line, risking their very lives to perform their duty. I think of an EMT who enters a hostile or potentially harmful environment in order to provide care for the wounded. These all place themselves in harm's way in order to help others. They take no thought of the cost. They often totally disregard the potential for personal harm that may be encountered. They not only endure the danger, but they almost invite it. Charles Abril was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps during the Korean War. While advancing with his platoon in an attack against well-concealed and heavily fortified enemy hill positions, Corporal Abril voluntarily rushed forward through the assaulting squad, which was pinned down by a hail of intense and accurate automatic weapons fire from a hostile bunker that was situated on commanding ground. Then it was higher ground. They could easily see the enemy, in this case, Corporal Abril coming. Although previously wounded by the enemy's hand, uh, as a result of grenade fragments, he proceeded to carry out a, a very bold, single-handed attack against the bunker, exhorting his comrades to follow him. Sustaining two additional wounds as he stormed toward the in, emplacement, he resolutely pulled the pin from a grenade clutched in his hand and hurled him, himself bodily into the bunker with the live missile still in his grasp. Corporal Abril was fatally wounded in the resulting explosion, along with the entire enemy gun crew within the stronghold. He said, that was stupid. Let me tell you something, if you've ever been in battle, you'd probably find that there's all kinds of things going on that were never meant for mankind to have to dress and deal with. This was a hero. He saved men's lives. He saved people's lives. I can also think maybe even of a a single mom or a dad who denies themselves a relationship, a vacation, free time, or other common conveniences that most of us take for granted. They tirelessly work and consistently sacrifice every free moment of the day in order to provide a home, food, clothing, roof over their children's heads. And, and, and to me, honestly, I think they could justly be considered a hero. I know that's not the same kind of hero, but it, in my opinion, it's in a sense very similar in that they've given themselves for the sake of others. They've sacrificed personal for others. In our world today, heroes come pretty cheap. You know, it's, um, it's the person that puts a ball through an iron sphere today or a a hoop. A hero is somebody that throws a winning touchdown. A hero is somebody that hits a winning home run. A hero is somebody that kicks the winning goal. It's amazing to me, though, how quickly they're forgotten. A true hero is somebody like a firefighter or somebody else that goes on into that fire and reaches out and grabs that little child and, or grabs those people and runs on out into the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the fray of fire and, 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 and saves a life, gives their own life potentially to save another. Just heroes come so cheap today. Some so cheap. 
1967 while fighting in uh, Vietnam, PFC Leslie Bell Richard was with four fellow soldiers in a foxhole. Uh, he was in a foxhole, and of course they had kind of outlined a perimeter. When their, posi- when their position came under attack, the enemy stormed them. Following a 30-minute mortar barrage as well, the enemy launched a strong ground assault. Bell Richard rose in the face of a group of charging enemy soldiers and threw hand grenades into their midst, eliminating several of the foe and forcing the remainder to withdraw. Failing in that initial attack, the enemy repeated the mortar fire again. And they bombarded the friendly perimeter. Once again, the charge came. They sought to overrun the position one more time. PFC Bell Richard resumed throwing hand grenades at the onrushing attackers. As he was about to hurl a grenade, a mortar round exploded just in front of his position, and it knocked him into the foxhole, causing him to lose his grip on the already armed grenade. Shielding his companions from the blast, he simply threw his body on it. Although he was seriously wounded, Bell Richard struggled into an upright position in that particular foxhole, and he fired his weapon at the enemy until he finally collapsed in death. That's a soldier that fearlessly faced the enemy and at tremendous risk to himself. He shielded his comrades from the blast of that grenade. Amazing, isn't it? He gets to his feet and he continues to fight. He just won't quit. I'll tell you what, if you ask me, that's a hero. There's a hero. You say, well, he's just doing his duty. He's just doing his job. Well, ask any one of those in the foxhole that were with him that day. I'll bet you, tell, I'll bet you they'll tell you something different. They'll say, you know what, he's a hero. And you know what, I'm going to remember him the rest of my life. Every day I get up, every day I go to work, every day I kiss my kids, welcome home. I'll remember Bell Richard. How long does the memory of a home run last, really? How long does a winning shot really resound in history? I guarantee you those men will take that to the grave with them. A hero. As I think about the many selfless acts of heroism that have been performed and demonstrated by men and women around the world, I'm ever reminded of the ultimate act of valor and heroism performed on behalf of humanity. The scene of that act is Calvary. Calvary. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few minutes. May you be glorified in everything that's said and done. Holy Spirit of God, bring conviction to the sinner. And may our hearts realize we need a Savior. And Lord, if we already have you as Savior, Lord, may we make up our mind that we too are going to be willing to give ourselves on behalf of others. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The scene of that act, Calvary. Do you realize that 2,000 years ago, on top of a hill called Golgotha, Christ took his place on the old rugged cross? 
I know that's a story we've heard over and over again, but man, I say, I hope we never grow weary of hearing it. After being mocked, maligned, and mistreated, after being rejected, ridiculed, and reviled, he patiently submitted himself to the cruelties of humanity. Can you imagine the creator of all the universe being treated like he was treated by his creation? And yet he humbled himself there on Calvary. There they led him up that hill and there placed him on that old cross and they nailed his hands and feet to it. And as they lifted up that old piece of wood and that cross and it dropped down into that hole, it came down with such force that it just jolted his body and it ripped the sinew and the tendons in his hands and his feet, excruciating pain, just just literally filling his body, pulsing through every, every fiber of his being. And there he hanged between heaven and earth. Naked, humiliated before a world that hated him. And yet a world that he so loved. Upon that cross, he bore the sin of every sinner ever born and those that would be born. Enough blood was shed for everyone to be forgiven. And you say, well, then he died for the sin of the world, therefore everyone must be saved. No, it has to be personal. He died for you today. I know God so loved the world. Yes, He did. But He loves you today. It's your sin He wants to address. It's your sin He wants to deal with. He wants you to be a part of His family. He said, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His way. But the Lord hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. I understand that there's this corporate aspect of the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you cannot get away from the individual application. A man or a woman does not go to heaven because Jesus simply died on a cross. A man or a woman goes to heaven because they have personally accepted and received His payment for their sin. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. We see very quickly and simply the scene of that act, Calvary. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for us. <laughs> we see and recognize the source of that act, though. Love. You know, we often fail to realize that we offer nothing that God needs to Him. You realize that you have nothing that God needs today. It's an amazing thing. We somehow feel that if God doesn't love us, if God doesn't accept us, if God doesn't allow us to go to heaven, He's the one missing out. That's not true at all. Do you know God is perfectly content with who He is? 
He's all right, really. The truth is we have no leverage concerning God's favor. He's just fine without us, and yet he performed the most heroic act in history in order to provide us the unworthy life everlasting. It's amazing when you think about it. You say, but if he really loves everybody, then it's without a doubt sure that everyone's going to go to heaven. And if he loves everybody, then he died on the cross because, you know, he can't live without us. And if we don't have, he doesn't have our fellowship, he won't be complete. No, he is complete without me and he is complete without you. He is perfectly fine without us. And yet he still loved us enough to do what he did. It's called grace. It's called getting what we don't deserve. And none of us deserves eternal life. None of us deserves a home in heaven. None of us deserves to be called the sons of God or to cry out to God as our Father. We don't deserve that. God doesn't owe us that. And you know, there's so much of this attitude going in, uh, throughout our culture and permeated throughout our society that somehow that, that we are owed everything. This, this idea that, man, I'm, I'm owed money. I'm owed benefits. I'm owed this. I'm owed that. This entitlement attitude that prevails our culture has crept into the church and it crept into our culture to the point where we believe somehow God owes us. And He doesn't. But what God does give you and what does God does extend to me and you both is His love today. And because of that great love, He is willing to give to us salvation. He's willing to give to us a relationship with Him. He's willing to indwell us and allow us to be with Him forever in heaven. When you consider the sin that is rooted in our hearts and the sin that exists in our lives, there is no reason in heaven or in earth that God should want anything to do with us. You say, well, I just believe that everybody's really good at heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says over in the book of Romans, chapter 3, that there's none that doeth good. No, not one. It's amazing how we totally and completely disregard the Bible and its, its accuracy, its truth, its inerrancy, and we say, I have come up with a much more socially acceptable gospel here. And you know what? That is exactly what we're doing in our, in our churches today. We are dismissing the Word of God and its accuracy for our own idealism. What we believe it means. What we want it to say. Not what it says, but what we want it to say. And if I could change anything about the Word of God, probably the one thing I'd change is that hell was not forever. But I can't change that either. And neither can you. The source is love. In John 15, 13, the passage we just read, Greater love hath no man than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for you and me. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Were every blade of grass a quill, with a world of parchment made, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor would the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
There's no way we could ever write enough words. There's no way we could ever pen enough sentences. There's no way we could have enough paragraphs or pages to describe and to share the love of God. But may I say today that that love is there for you and that love is there for me. And God does love us in spite of the fact that we're wretched sinners and we are vile and we are secretly putrid sores in the eyes of a holy God. We still have His love. And may I say we simply need to receive and accept that love today. It's a wonderful thing, that scene, the scene of the act was Calvary. The source of the act was love, but the scope of the act is all. It's wonderful that there's no one that, can, that has to miss out on this. Everyone has opportunity to be saved and be forgiven. You could quote it with me, and if you know it, why don't you quote it? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a great verse, isn't it? For God so loved. Boy, does He love. Say, why does He love me then, if I'm such a sinner? Because. Because. Just because. There is no other reason. I could say, well, Lord, I'll give you this water if you love me. He says, you kidding me? I don't need your water. Well, God, I'll, I'll share this wonderful book that I wrote with the world and with you if you'll just save me. He says, I don't need any other books. I can write my own books. I got one called the Bible. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, you come visit. I will give you a pen and pencil set if you'll just save me. He says, why do I need that? I can write my word on a stone with my finger. I'm just saying today, God doesn't need us and God is not bound by us. He does, we in no way hold Him hostage. And the fact is, is that He loves us all and He still wants to receive us all and accept us all simply because. That's as simple as it is. John 1.12, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. It says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There is a whosoever will. Notice that. Are you part of that whosoever will? Simply being loved by God is not enough. You have to be one of the whosoever's. And they have to have a will. You have to submit. You have to yield your will to His will. And He is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe we're often guilty of diminishing the importance of that intimate act of Jesus Christ. You know, we come to Christmas, we go to Easter, but we fail to recognize, literally, how indispensable He is in our life. Jesus Christ is the greatest hero that ever was. I mean, he made the greatest sacrifice that was ever made on behalf of humanity. No one ever lost as much in order that others could gain than him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes today. 
And earlier we spoke about a couple of those heroes in battle. But we also noted the sacrifice and price paid on Calvary by the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And again, I do believe that qualifies him as the greatest of all heroes. I do want to share real quickly in closing a story of an unlikely hero. That morning was like any other as Al made his way to work. It was a short time later that Jeannie, his wife, turned on the television to check the weather report only to hear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. Jeannie's husband, Al, was a corporate bond trader for Cantor Fitzgerald. His office was on the 105th floor of Tower One. Al had survived the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 and he had even helped a woman with asthma to escape from the building. Jeannie knew that Al would do the same thing this time. She said, quote, I knew he had stopped to help and minister to people, she said, but I never thought for a minute that he wouldn't be coming home. Like so many others who were in that building, a week later, Al's body was found in the rubble. Al's wife, Jeannie, and his son, Christopher, were devastated. Then the reports began to trickle in from friends and acquaintances. Some people on the 105th floor had made a last call or sent a final email to a loved one saying that a man was leading people in prayer. A few referred to Al literally by name. When Al realized that they were all trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, Al shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and led them in prayer. The news came as no surprise to Al's wife, who for years had prayed with her husband. Sorry. The news came as no surprise to Al's wife, who for years had prayed with her husband for the salvation of his co-workers. According to Jeannie, Al hated his job and couldn't stand the environment. It was a world so out of touch with his perspective and worldview. Still, Al was convinced that God wanted him to stay there to be a light in the darkness. Al was not ashamed of Christ in his word, but make no mistake about it. He paid the price for taking up his cross daily. Al shared his faith with co-workers, many of which sarcastically nicknamed him the Rev. They would even mock and make fun of him from time to time. Still, it wasn't uncommon for one of them to ask Al for prayer when horrible things happened in their lives. Obviously, down deep, they respected Al's consistency and commitment. They clearly saw his passion and noted his joy. In such times, Al would pray with his co-workers and share the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And on that fateful day, September 11th, in the midst of the chaos and confusion, Al's co-workers looked to him, and Al delivered. There he shared the gospel, encouraged the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. At the same time, Al tried to make a phone call to his family and could only reach an MCI operator who he asked to pass a message on to them. Quote, tell them I love them, he said. Tell them I love them. It took the operator more than a month to reach the Brockos. But the message brought them much needed comfort. Quote, the last thing my dad did involved the two things most important to him. God and his family, his son Christopher said. He loved to lead people to Christ. That takes away a lot of the hurt and the pain. Listen, Al Bracca 
may not have been a soldier on the front lines. May not have been a firefighter rushing into a burning building, a police officer returning fire from an assailant, or an EMT administering CPR in a crumbling stairway. But he was in the heat of the battle. He was a hero who with his last breath reached out to others, instructing them in the way of eternal life. You know, I got to believe that Al had read about Jesus, his Savior. I got to believe that he understood how Jesus Christ came to earth and willingly laid down his life so that others could be saved. And I got to believe that that heroism, that act of heroism on the part of Jesus Christ inspired him to be the same kind of hero. This morning, may I say that each of us that name the name of Christ can be heroes then. I mean, we don't need to join the armed forces necessarily or drive around in a squad car or enter a burning building or rescue an injured man or woman at the scene of an accident to be a hero. We can be a hero by literally standing unashamed in this world on behalf of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can be a hero by selflessly giving our time, our energy, our finances, our heart to the work of God and the winning of souls. Men and women are still sinking into hell today. But you and I can make a difference in their lives, even as Al made a difference in those men and women's lives. They're in that tower. Will you be a hero this morning? A person of distinguished valor, enterprise in danger, a hero in arms. Will you suffer and sacrifice on behalf of others to ensure their well-being, even at your own expense? I would encourage you to be a hero this morning. A hero in the Lord's army. A hero in the service of Jesus Christ. But maybe today you're still unsaved, you're lost, you're without Jesus Christ. You've never invited Him in your life. You've never recognized yourself as the sinner that you really are. And that that sin literally stands between you and God. Unless that sin is addressed and dealt with, you'll never ever be at one with Him. Jesus said, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look to Him. Look to the greatest hero who gave his life so that you could be saved today. Not only can you live an abundant life here, but you can also experience an abundant life in eternity. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be or could be, but shall be. See, there's a sin stain that must be removed, and only the blood of Christ can do that today. And there is no act of courage, valor, or sacrifice that you personally can perform that can replace the blood of Jesus in your life. So today I want to encourage you, if you have yet to do so, to truly trust Jesus and His shed blood to wash your sin away, to make you clean before a holy, righteous God, to enter into a relationship with Him and enjoy the bounty of a fruitful walk only made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ.
Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Won't you trust Him today? I encourage you to do so. Without Him, there is no hope. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, that You would be with each of us today in this room.